0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish, it's Friday, November 29, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports, I own college basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me and though we normally record Friday's podcast on Friday morning, we decided to wait until deeper into the day on this Black Friday because there was just too much good stuff happening early in the day, specifically at the Battle for Atlantis. So we waited and boy am I glad we waited because the Battle for Atlantis hosted What is now, I think, the greatest story in the sport? It was an eight team event that featured four schools ranked in the top 13 of the current AP polls. Specifically, number six, North Carolina, number eight, Gonzaga, number 11, Oregon, and number 13, Seton Hall. And yet, a currently unranked team held the trophy at the end. Hail to the victors, Valiant! Hail to the conquering heroes! The Michigan Wolverines are the champions of the 2019 battle for Atlantis. They beat Iowa State. 83-76 on Wednesday, beat North Carolina, 73-64 on Thursday, and earlier today they beat Gonzaga, 82-64. You know, only one AP voter had Michigan on a top 25 ballot in the preseason. It was Marcus Fuller from the St. Paul Pioneer Press. That's a reverse poll attacks, if you will, and yet Michigan is now 7-0 with convincing wins over number 6 UNC the top 25 and one they'll obviously move up again saturday morning so shouts to the fab five shouts to Cassie russell shouts to glenn rice shouts to the little homie trey burke matt norlander please praise juan howard and his undefeated wolverines
1: Oh, okay. Oh, I thought okay. I thought we were going to start the podcast by talking about the um, Ole Miss player that fake pissed on the field. But you want to go with I, Michigan? <laughs> we can definitely do that. I, I mean, Good. I'm ready to go into Michigan, but I honestly thought that you might want to just uh, divert just real quick because I know that – I think that actually more than any college basketball result we have this weekend, I feel like – and I don't even know the, names, the dude's name, but I feel like that actually um, was really <laughs> – Really, the uh, the sporting event, and the sporting moment that made your weekend perish.
0: So I was okay, so it was Thanksgiving, right?
1: And I, you know, I uh,
0: I, I I grew up in Mississippi. I still live in Mississippi. Um, my wife is an Ole Miss grad. Her brother, my brother-in-law, is a Mississippi State grad. Uh, we've got friends who went to both schools. So that game is a big game, even when Ole Miss sucks like this year, and Mississippi State sucks like uh, this year. And so Thanksgiving, at some point, you know, the kids get tired, and it's like, all right, it's time to go home, and we get home. And the kids get to sleep, and then I'm just like, you know, I guess I'll, you know, I'm watching basketball, but I also got Ole Miss Mississippi State on. And for people who didn't see it, Ole Miss is down a touchdown, score in the final 10 seconds, and then the guy who scores the touchdown, he, he, he gets hit, falls in the end zone crawls maybe four or five little crawls and then hikes his leg up as if he's pissing on the field in Starkville that's an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty they moved the PAT back and at that point I was like there is a hundred percent chance this guy misses this there's no way he's making this kick and of course wide right Mississippi State wins at 21 20 Ole Miss cost itself the opportunity to win in overtime because one of its players pretended to be a dog taking a pit. You don't get better than that. I mean, I, I, I tweeted last night, imagine someday having to tell your grandchildren that you cost your team a possibility of a win uh, against an in-state rival because you pretended to be a dog taking a piss. And then as I started thinking about it, I was like, you know what? That's a great story, actually. <laughs> like It's a, it's a pretty – like if my grandfather told me that story, I would think it's the funniest story in the world. So what a what a deal that was. And what I don't think people paid enough attention to, you go back and watch the – because everybody's seen the picture. I don't know how many people actually have seen the video. He hikes it up like really good. It's like quick, and it was like he practiced that before. Like that, I don't feel like that's the first time he ever pretended to be a dog taking a piss.
1: Strong pantomiming skills there, and um, not not unprecedented, by the way. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. was the first one to do it, and then apparently former Ole Miss wide receiver DK Metcalf also, also might have done it. So we don't have to make this into a college football podcast, but that, that was, I, I don't care what happens Saturday, what happens Sunday, that's a moment that won't be topped, and the urine-related puns to have come out of that thing have brought me just exceedingly, Exceedingly, so much, so much joy and laughter. Well, it, well, it's so easy.
0: It's old piss, hottie potty, <laughs>
1: <laughs> the piss that led to the mess. All that good stuff. Yes. Um, all right. So, on a completely different note, uh, Michigan and Jawan Howard now seven and O. Um, you know, a, a lot of people didn't see this coming with Michigan, but obviously, I did. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> Only Marcus Fuller uh, was the one who maybe even remotely saw this coming. Um, it's It's a great story. Um, Michigan's legitimately really good right now, Parrish. Um saw their game on th- uh, Thanksgiving, saw their game here on Friday. I I thought this team would get into the tournament but be like kind of flirting with you know Dayton first four. I was just I was wrong, man. Xavier Xavier Simpson continues to be a fantastic point guard. Uh, John Teske, I I think he had the best game of his career on Friday against Gonzaga and against a legitimate Gonzaga front line. Um, Michigan also just it had no issues with North Carolina. I was with my family, with my brothers, uh, able to watch that game, and um, I just I was in the moment. I was surprised that Michigan was playing as well as it did against Carolina. even, you know, a little more of an up-tempo of an up-tempo game than I thought they were going to give them. Uh, but credit to him man. Gonzaga, Carolina, Iowa State, all in, in Bahamas. They have a win against Creighton as well. Um, that equates to four to, uh, top 70 wins uh, at Ken Palm's. the second-best offense in the country right now. And Isaiah Livers, I mean... To me, the story is how good the defense has been, and then they're just they're obscene from three-point range right now. You've got Isaiah Livers has made 21 of his 41 attempts. Eli Brooks has made 50 percent, 16 of 32. Xavier Simpson doesn't shoot a ton, but he's still at 44.4 percent. John Teske, the big man, he's even five for 16, and then David DeJulius, uh, you know, a newcomer, relatively speaking, a sophomore, he's made 11 of 23. Michigan's been on fire from deep, and. Um, Obviously, early returns are as good as they possibly could be. Jawan Howard, good karma for him. He had a video go viral. I don't know if it deserved to go viral, but then again, I actually it had been a long time, if ever, if I would seen a coach like go out of his way to be the one to wipe up the sweat off the floor. I don't know if you saw that or not, Parrish, but uh,
0: it, it 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 has been presented as look at Jawan Howard, um, this generous multimillionaire former NBA star Fab Five, who's now like still not too good to get on his knees and wipe up the floor. It might have been that. Was it that, or was it, if nobody else can do this right, I'll just get down here and do it myself. It felt like maybe, and maybe I'm just reading it a different way, but it felt like maybe he was just... Um, out of frustration, like, Jesus Christ, people keep slipping right here. I'll go handle this myself if nobody else can do it.
1: Yeah, which might be it. But nonetheless, good karma on his side. And now Michigan uh, is going to go from unranked and into the polls here. Um, so just a couple quick facts, and then GP, offer up whatever you want in terms of Michigan, where you think it should be ranked, what you saw, what you liked, and all that good stuff here. Um, unranked, and now top 10 seems a virtual guarantee Top five is possible. I wonder if the collective AP voting body will go that strong with the Wolverines on Monday afternoon. Uh, A couple of of instances where this has happened, um, you had in November 2010, UConn was not ranked. Uh, That was the year with Kemba Walker where they did not lose a game in bracket play the entire season. They won in Maui, then they won the biggest tournament, then they won the national championship overall. UConn was not ranked, and then it bumped all the way up to number nine when it beat Wichita State, which was unranked. Michigan State, which was the number two team in the country, and then Kentucky, which was the number nine team in the country at the Maui Invitational. The biggest jump, or one of the biggest jumps ever, was 89, so 30 years ago. Kansas was unranked to begin the year. It won a road game against LSU, it beat number 25 St. John's, and then it beat the top-ranked UNLV running rebels in the preseason in IT that got them up to number four in what would have been the second week's poll of that season, and then I saw Sean Farnham tweet out one more graphic as well: the most that we've ever seen in the history of the AP Top Twenty-five. So Kansas got to four. Ohio State in 62-63, I don't know who the Buckeyes beat to do this, but they were unranked to start um, the season, or unranked at some point, and then they jumped, uh, they entered in at number three. My guess, I'll just I'll throw a blind guess out here, I'm going to say Michigan jumps up, and they are number 8. I've got a little bit of cynicism over whether um, the collective voting body is going to be willing to say this team was not ranked, and now I'm going to write them as the second team, fourth team, sixth team in the poll. Um, I think that's pretty aggressive, but there's no doubt about it. They're operating like a top-five team in college basketball, and yeah, they are now uh, pretty much you know outside of maybe Stephen F. Austin as good as any story going in the sport right now, and uh, shame on us for not potentially giving this team more credit in the preseason, because it looks like it's got the goods, and looks like it's as good as any team in its conference, and yeah, maybe even the sport or in this very moment?
0: I will say, if they don't get higher than eight, then people just aren't paying attention. At some point, you've got to forget what you thought you knew and just respect the results. They have skyrocketed at Ken Palm, um, in all the way up to number 12 right now, and that's still taking into account some, pre- uh, some last season stuff. So that suggests that if you only focused on this season stuff, it would be even better uh, than that. I- I'll have them, I've got them seven on Friday morning. I'll have them, somewhere between two. I'll either have them as high as two and no lower than five. And I think you could make an argument that they, they could be number one. It's not just that they are good. I I hope this makes sense. Sometimes teams, you like look at their body of work and you go, Hey, you know, the body of work is they got two top 10 wins. You know, you don't really see it, but Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, it's like, it's there. I'll say the same thing. I, uh, I said about Dayton, about Michigan. If you watched them, they looked great. It's not like they just won some games. They looked great while winning games. And um, you, listen, they, 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 they won both games by comfortable margins. Here's some more details. They were up 24 points at one point on North Carolina. They were up 21 points at one point on Gonzaga. And it's not like we don't know if Gonzaga or North Carolina are legit. Sometimes you might beat somebody early, and it's a surprise, and you go, man, that's a top-10 team. But then what you find out is that they're not really a top-10 team. But North Carolina bounced back and beat Oregon. And Gonzaga's already got big wins over Oregon. Um, and you can say, well, maybe that just says Oregon's not good. Except Oregon's got a, a win over the Memphis team that just beat NC State down two starters. Like, mm-hmm. Oregon's good. And Michigan uh, handled Gonzaga and and North Carolina, two teams that handled Oregon, in pretty convincing form. You mentioned earlier um, about how well they're shooting the ball. Right now, two point range, they're shooting 60%, that's fifth in the country. Three point range, shooting 42.4%, that's 11th in the country. Effective field goal percentage 61.4, that ranks second in the country. So, not only do they have a nice body of work, um, the the you know, they 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 look the part. They they just they look great and Juan looks comfortable and I had a couple people point this out on Twitter and I I don't think it's worth um, I I do believe it's worth pointing out, you know, everybody focused. No previous head coaching experience. Now, we've seen in other areas where that didn't really matter, Steve Kerr in the NBA, uh, Fred Hoiberg at Iowa State, uh, Penny Hardaway at Memphis, um, you know, now Jawan Howard at Michigan. He hired Phil Martelli. Now, I don't even know what the relationship was between – I can't imagine there was this, like, like, where would the relationship come from between Phil Martelli and Jawan Howard? I think that he just looked for – um, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this. If so, somebody can correct me. Um, but I think he just looked for, hey, I need somebody who's done this for a long time to just sit beside me. And Phil was available, and that's looking like a smart hire. I I, th- I, I think it's reasonable to assume Phil has had an impact um, on what's happening at Michigan right now. But either way, what a what a tremendous story. Um, you know, it was you know, when John Beilein left at a weird part in the calendar. There weren't great candidates available. Um, But when Jawan Howard emerged, I believe we talked about it on the podcast, and I said, you know, given, you know, that the given the other options, I would just hire Jawan Howard. And I don't say that to say, and look, because like, who knows, but it, it made sense to me at the time. And now it looks like the most sensible thing in the world because he's recruiting, got a five star commitment in the class of 2020. And now the on the court stuff is is great as well.
1: If, uh, and plenty of listeners I know did watch the game, um, on Friday between Michigan and Gonzaga, uh, but if you did not see the game and kind of just, you know, checked your phone or heck, you're learning about it via this podcast here, um, it's, it's, it was it was dominant i mean xavier simpson was using uh the pick and roll <laughs> like at, at his leisure it was unbelievable to see how how good he was how frequently good he was overall uh and Teske, was just a, he was a beast um to the level where I think I actually had my opinion changed on Michigan ceiling. If you tell me Livers is going to be that, first of all, Isaiah Livers, if he's going to be that, he's getting drafted. Um, Defensively, he is already certainly adequate enough. And now if his offensive game has expanded to that point, then forget about it. Um, He has been awesome, and he's got great length, and he's made a real jump so far. It's been pretty terrific. Um, So... I. uh, Gonzaga came in without a loss. It looked uh, it looked like it just had not played anyone of that caliber and wasn't quite ready. Now, this is also three games in three days, and I get all that, but Michigan had to do the same. Michigan had the, the toughest road uh, having to face Iowa State, then UNC, and then Gonzaga. I mean, the only other team that had a tougher three-game and three-day stretch, I think, of any team in America was Oregon, and that got Seton Hall gonzaga carolina and oregon as a result went one and two and even the gonzaga loss was only by one point in overtime and that was on thanksgiving night um a couple other quick notes here on michigan um it's seven and zero, and we're gonna be talking about the wolverines plenty here uh in the near future on the podcast because next game is against louisville at louisville on tuesday could be number one Louisville against number four Michigan, number eight Michigan, number 11 Michigan. We'll see where that is when we get to Monday and obviously we will preview that game on the Sunday evening podcast because there's going to be plenty to get to with that. But then even after that I mean, Parrish. Then you got this, because of the Big Ten schedule with 20 games, you got these December games in, in league play. You get Iowa at home. You're at Illinois. And then, yeah, you get Oregon, does Michigan, on Saturday, December 14th. So in the next 15 days, they have four relevant, interesting games. And the Iowa game, that's an Iowa team that is five and 5-1 that got the... Like kind of under the radar. What the hell happened? 72-61 win over Texas Tech out uh, in Vegas on Thanksgiving night. Uh, Hawkeyes look good. Their only loss is to DePaul. Hello. DePaul is 8-0 and after winning at Minnesota on Friday. And now DePaul will play Texas Tech on Wednesday. We'll get to that on the podcast next week. Don't worry. We're going to mix in some Blue Demons talk when it comes time. But my point is Michigan is going to take, I would think, at least one loss. And if it took two, um, that would totally be reasonable because I got two road games Two home games and the home games against Iowa and Oregon. That's like solid teams. Like all those teams could be in the mixed for the tournament. So, um, if if we come to see that Michigan takes a bad L here, it doesn't mean everyone overreacted if they wind up being like the eighth team, the sixth team in the AP poll or anything like that. Um, it's just going to be tough to pull off. And in the in the in the broad scope. Any, let's say they go two and two, so they'll be nine and two through eleven games. Are you kidding me? If you told any Michigan fan in October, we're going to give you nine and two, or you're going to guarantee it, or we're gonna, you just chance it and see what kind of record you get. They would take the nine and two. Every single freaking Michigan fan would have taken that because no one knew how good they'd be, how Juwan would be. Um, fantastic start for him. He's the coach of the year for November in college basketball.
0: Not only if you're a Michigan fan in the preseason, if I gave you nine and two in the first eleven, would you take it? You'd be thrilled with it because you could have went zero and three in the Battle for Atlantis, at least in theory, right? There was no, it it was when you're in an you're unranked and in an event with four top fifteen teams like that. that, The expectations aren't wonderful, and so now you're seven and zero, and whatever happens from here happens from here. You know, depending on what the AP voters do uh, with Michigan this week, um, we could have a top five matchup of teams uh, on Tuesday inside the Yum Center because Louisville is going to probably be number one, no worse than number two. And then again, wherever Michigan goes, that's where Michigan goes. But if you're wondering real quick why Michigan wasn't ranked in the preseason, uh, I I did not rank them. Uh, uh, No AP voter did except for Marcus Fuller. Um it's, it's because of what they lost, both on the bench and on the court. You know, th- there was a time, like probably early March, where I started, you know, just, hey, I've got an extra 20 minutes. I'm going to do some prep work on the next season, top 25 and one. You know, Michigan, I, I guess Michigan fans probably just knew this off the top of their head. I realized it, you know, studying the roster. I was like, everybody can come back. It's a 31 team. Everybody could come theoretically come back if they wanted to. And given that they didn't have any guaranteed lottery picks or even likely lottery picks, you, you know there was a scenario where it wasn't unreasonable to imagine that. And I thought, if everybody comes back, they'll be preseason number one. It won't be Michigan State. It'll be Michigan. And then, of course, they lose their top three scores, and then they lose a Hall of Fame caliber coach in John line. And they replace him with, all due respect to Jawan Howard, just somebody who's never done it. And so you could still rank them if you wanted to, but it was very reasonable not to. But come this Monday, it's it's no longer reasonable to not rank them. I, you said you would guess eight. Yeah. Um, that's fine. I will not spend a poll attack column on somebody who ranks Michigan eight, but I'll have them in the top five. And I think you could reasonably have them. If you just wanted to go nothing but I'm going to put the team with the best resume, number one, you could have them number one. I think anywhere one through five is completely uh, reasonable. I'll definitely have him in the top
1: five. All right, I got something I want to ask Parrish on that exact note in regard to your rankings. We're going to get to that, but first, check this out.
0: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/recommend today.
1: Okay, Parrish. So as we record this on Friday, what I'm about to say out loud is the ranking you had coming into Friday, and I understand that there's going to be a few things adjusted. But when I was looking at your top 25 and one, I kind of took a step back and I thought, hmm, I wonder if the general college basketball uh, following public is 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 really in tune with what. Uh, what's happening here uh, in the sport and how weird this top 10 looks compared to what we thought heading into the season. And it's not just no, the number one ranked team falling. Uh, I went into the the history of that and how we've been through November like we haven't ever had before. Um, so I want to get to a, a few things. One, which team you think deserves to be number one uh, and if that's the same thing as uh, the team you think is playing the best in college basketball. Well, right now, heading into Friday, here's what you had. You had Louisville, number one, you had Kansas, which was able to win in Maui, beat Dayton in a great game on Thanksgiving Eve. Obi Toppin was a baller and had uh, maybe the best highlight of the season outside of Stephen F. Austin winning at the buzzer. When he took a three, turned around halfway through and, <laughs> and stared down Kansas's bench and made it. It was incredible. Uh, Kansas is two. You got Maryland third, and Maryland was able to defeat Harvard on Friday in the semis of the Orlando tournament. It will play for the title there as he to lose a game. Virginia's four. You got Gonzaga five, Ohio State six, and this is what caught my eye because heading in you had Michigan, you had Michigan all the way up at seven, uh, a really a fast high riser. Oregon eight. Dayton 9, and then Kentucky 10. And then just so people are aware, like where the big boys that I think might need to be there. Duke is 11, Michigan State 12, and then Carolina is 13. Carolina, just so everyone knows, was able to defeat Oregon on Friday. Um, so who's to say where they will wind up? But, um, but Dayton at 9, interesting. I think I agree with it as I'm a top 10 team. But if you want, just, you know, we got teams relevant to recent results since we last podcasted. Um, why Louisville over Kansas? Is it purely a function of they were ahead? Do you think Louisville is playing like a better team than Kansas? And then if you want to just touch on you know, the Dayton stuff and like Michigan, where you think they're going to bump up now, I mean, Gonzaga with the loss makes sense. But um, I think it's an, a, a rather eclectic top 10, and obviously it's a, a top 10 that I don't think a lot of people would have foreseen, even as recently as 10 days ago.
0: Okay, my personal view would be at this point, any undefeated team that also has strong computer numbers can reasonably re- be ranked number one. And so that would be Louisville, uh, Virginia, Ohio State, uh, Michigan, even Auburn's in the top 15. I think any of those teams I just named could reasonably be ranked number one. Like if, if I saw it on a ballot, I wouldn't go, well, that's, that's, that's Monday's politex column. All of it's fine. I believe it will be Louisville, number one on Monday. We're recording this on Friday evening. Uh, they're up 20 on Western Kentucky right now with uh, less than four minutes to play, so they're going to win that game probably by double digits, at which point they will be 7-0 and with six double-digit wins. They're number two at Ken Palm right now, mm-hmm. which means they are the highest-rated undefeated team at Ken Palm because Michigan State is still number one at Ken Palm. um they're the only preseason top five team in the AP poll that remains undefeated. The other four have all taken a loss. And like I said, they're number two in the AP poll right now. Usually number two moves to number one. And so I, I believe it'll be Louisville, and I will have Louisville number one in the top 25 and one. Uh, uh, I, 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 if, I I, could make the argument for Michigan just based on resume, but I, I try not to. I'm not saying I've never done it. I think I did it last year when Duke was so overwhelming in the opening game of the season. I moved Duke to number one the following morning, um, even though the number one team did not lose. I think number one might have been Kansas, and and I just dropped them because it was because like Duke looked like the way it looked. But I try not to rank. I try not to drop number one teams unless they lose. So I will have it Louisville one, and I think I'll keep Kansas two. But I could make the argument to move Michigan all the way up to two. But I, I, at this point. Louisville, Michigan would be my number one team. I would I don't think I would strongly consider anybody else.
1: Uh before the game between Michigan and Gonzaga was played on Friday, if we had podcasted this morning, I would have said Kansas would be my number one team because I think it's playing like the best team in America. <laughs> it's got I, I I really do think I'd have Michigan number one because the resumes incredible. It's the best resume in America right now. I think inarguably the best resume in America. Now, I know we're only seven games in, eight games in, depending on the team you root for, maybe even six games. But um, I don't even know how many teams are close. Had Kansas been undefeated, it would have a real viable uh, point there, but it's not undefeated. It lost to start the season uh, when it opened in the Champions Classic. So I would go Michigan 1. I would go Louisville two, Kansas three. The Maryland stuff is interesting because it's just it's maintained, and Anthony Cowan's played really well in the past couple of days. And then Virginia's just its defense is insane, and uh, it's going to maintain a good ranking so long as it's <laughs> so long as teams can't crack 50 points on them. And almost everyone has been has failed to do that. You had Gonzaga five. It didn't look good. Um, we'll be interested to see how far you want to drop. The Zags, you had Oregon 8, Oregon dropped 2-3, or three, but again, it actually had the toughest road of anyone, Michigan included, who played in battle for Atlanta. So it's like, what do you do with Oregon? Like, it's it's not a top-10 team right now based on results, and because of that, are you going to wind up scooting up Dayton, which has looked like a top-10 team? And it's not just Obi Top, and they've been so well-rounded overall. Um, I will be... Uh, intrigued by that, and we're just going to get movement in general as we go forward, like, just as a random heads up, like, Seton Hall's going to play Iowa State two out of its next three games, just because of the way the bracket schedule works and what they have in the regular season. Seton Hall, GP's got them at 14. They're going to be shifting, and we got plenty of stuff to still sort out the rest of the weekend. But, yeah, this is a... Uh, it's a noisy week for the better uh, of college basketball, GP. Just a lot of stuff, even, like... We're not going to talk about or predict this game, but like even tonight, we got Utah State St. Mary's, like the last awesome game of Friday night. That, like, that kind of stuff will have an impact on the rankings as well. Um, this really has turned into, I tweeted this earlier, Friday. I can't remember. Usually the day after Thanksgiving, GP, like you get the college football and you might get a couple of good, decent, like, games in there. This is as stacked of a slate as I can actually possibly ever remember for the day after. And because of that, you are going to get, um, in both Parrish's daily top twenty-five and one, and when the polls refresh on Monday, like this will this will be a lot of changeover with teams dropping out, jumping up, and et cetera.
0: Some specifics on Oregon: they finished fourth in the battle for Atlantis, but nobody had a tougher three-game stretch. Uh, they had to play Seton Hall, Gonzaga, and North Carolina on consecutive days, three games in three days against top thirteen AP teams. Like that's rougher than anything you get in the NCAA tournament. They beat yes. Seton Hall. They lose an OT by one point to Gonzaga. Lost by four points to North Carolina. So like two point three points.
1: Yeah, their their average game was decided by two point three points. So they're just a fascinating case pair. Six and two, yeah. but the two losses are totally reasonable.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not down on Oregon at all. Obviously, if you're Dana Altman, you'd rather win than lose.
1: But I thought Oregon
0: showed itself well. And you know, keep in mind they they've also got, you know, they got three top forty Ken Palm wins already. They got a Memphis win, a Houston win, and a Seton Hall win. Like it's a two-loss team. Like some people would, the people who just focus on records will go, "How do you have a two-loss team in the top wherever I have them? I've got them in the top ten right
1: now. You got them eight right now, but yeah, before like, you update that, for tomorrow, which they might drop down just to, as a yeah, function not of not much.
0: Thing. Not much. I mean, I, yeah. I I won't I won't I don't punish teams. I try not to punish teams for losing, you know, games that they were supposed to lose for losing uh, competitive games to to also awesome teams. And so, uh, yeah, Oregon's got two losses, but they're six and two. With two win, uh, two losses to top ten Ken teams that were close. They've got three top forty wins, and their five star freshman in volley Dante hasn't even played yet. He will be joining that team very very soon. Uh, I, I feel I feel fine about 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 Oregon. I, I know you mentioned that maybe you'd have Kansas number one. I, I think you came back and said you you probably go Michigan, but yeah. the the case against Kansas. If you want to say Kansas is playing better than anybody else, I can't really argue with that. Um, except
1: you, for Michigan <laughs> like yeah yeah, exactly. I, mean, yeah. Right.
0: I mean I can't play I can't argue with something subjective like yeah. who's playing better than anybody else in the country I will say and this might just be a philosophical difference between you and I I try to and it's still very early but I try not to just ignore losses like if something happened it happened yeah and you know Kansas is six and one they they, they, they have a loss and the loss came to a team that subsequently lost at home to Stephen F. Austin. Like, I can't I can't get around that. It doesn't mean that if you asked me to pick a Final Four tonight, right now, I wouldn't have Kansas in it. But I don't think when you've got Louisville preseason top five team undefeated, 7-0, six double-digit wins, when you've got Michigan 7-0 and with those wins, even, even Virginia, um, I don't think you can rank number one a team Regardless of how good you think they are, a team that's got a loss on a neutral court to a team that subsequently lost to Stephen F. Foster.
1: You're right, and then when Louisville's number one on Monday, that's going to be the fourth different number one in five weeks. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's kind of fun. And if Michigan pulls, if Michigan pulls off the win, that's able to, you'll have a fifth number one in six weeks because then Michigan. I would have to believe. I mean, if it was able well, to do that, like, it's going to be the next number one, so long as it doesn't take a loss after that. Well,
0: let me go ahead and tell you this. Okay. I, I'm not sure where I will have Michigan in Saturday morning's top 25 and one, but it will be no lower than five. No lower than five. I promise you this. Yeah. If they then go and win at the Yum Center, they, they should be the. Un- and then don't take a loss before the next Monday. Yeah. They should be the unanimous number I one agree. team in the country. It's like if you. They, then you will get. You'll get the poll text column pointer right at your throat if you don't have Michigan ranked number one after that. If if Michigan wins at the Yum Center on Tuesday night, Michigan will be number one in the top 25 on Wednesday morning. And if they are undefeated through the following Sunday, they should be number one on every top 25 ballot.
1: All right, let's pick some games, buddy. You
0: ready for the Final Four and
1: One? I do, I am very much ready. And I, by the way, given the hour we are recording this, I am hoping that you only have Saturday and Sunday games because there's basically no point in, in picking any Friday games, which is ironic because it's an awesome Friday slate. But because it is awesome, we started late, and now it's, uh, we're getting too, too deep into the hours here.
0: This might be a little too inside baseball, but um, very difficult Final Four and One this week. And the reason <laughs> is because all the most of the good Friday games are gone so we couldn't deal with that and then we're most of the good sunday games or at least some of the good sunday games are going to be created with friday results and we don't have all that done yet so it's slim pickings out there but um i got my four and then you will have your one and i will tell you i do have one friday game and the only reason i included it is because a slim pickings and b it doesn't tip to eleven thirty eastern for crying out loud
1: let's do it then we're going to start right. Friday night,
0: 1130 Eastern, number 15, Utah State at St. Mary's. St. Mary's is a three-point favorite. Norlander, you pick
1: it. I'm surprised they're a three-point favorite. Give me Utah State on the money line. A reminder, heading into this week, Parrish 5-9-1. and one. I am 8-6-1. and one. I will take Utah so I think Utah State's uh, the better team, and I think that they will win outright. I
0: have made this point before. I always root for the top 25-1. and one. it's easier for the top 25-1 and if Utah State wins this game. So I will take Utah State plus the three points. Saturday. Okay. And I should – sometimes I will pick games because it will give us an opportunity to touch on some things that maybe we ought to touch on, and that's very much what this one is. Saturday, 5 p.m. Eastern. It's Stephen F. Austin at Arkansas State. Love it. Arkansas State is a two-point favorite. Which, by the way, most disrespectful thing I've ever seen in my life. These dudes just—they just went to Ruppery I mean, to Cameron Indoor. They just went to Cameron Indoor and won. And you're gonna make them a two-point underdog in Jonesboro? It's disrespectful. It,
1: it, it, it is, but there's there's reason for it. So. Um, no-
0: no reason for that. If you can win at Cameron Indoor, you can win in Jonesboro. I, we'll get the picks in a second. I, I want to tee you up on this. Okay. You did some follow-up uh, work on Stephen F. Austin, wrote a nice column. People can find it at Cbsports.com The most interesting thing you found out after, the morning after, the day after Stephen F. Austin upset the Duke Blue Devils and included in the column was what?
1: I assumed that Nate Bain, who got the game-winning layup, um, I, I learned a, a ton of interesting stuff. If you have not read it, please uh, bring it up on your uh, phone on the CBS Sports app. Go to CBSSports.com. I spent literally my entire Thanksgiving Eve like making calls and texts and reporting on this piece. And uh, plenty hit the cutting room floor there. Um, but the story of him and the, and the GoFundMe, I think the general public is aware that it's was like at $2,000, and now it's like at $140,000 or higher. It just keeps going. It's an incredible story, and that became a story unto itself. The guy, Bain went on CNN to talk about it. Just, just awesome. Like that is the best story in college basketball so far this season. Um, CBS th- News sent a team to Nacogdoches. Amazing. CBS and, News. For a college basketball outcome in November, how awesome is that? That's national news. It's terrific. Um, but when I talked to Nate, he said, "You know, um, the the GoFundMe page says it's it's for my family, but." You know, we we live in Hurricane Alley. Um, his father is a coach on the Bahamian national team for basketball. He was the former principal at the church and the school. They're one building in the same, 750 kids. So basically what he was saying was we had insurance on our house, and, like, we've been able to kind of, like, you know, I think for where they live and, and who they are, like, the, you know, they're a family of, of not necessarily, like, you know, they're not affluent, but they're not of total modest means. So he's like, we took care of ourselves. Everything that is going to be uh, raised by the GoFundMe is going to go to rebuilding the church and the school and the infrastructure there and to families who actually, like, desperately need it. That, to me, was the most overwhelming thing uh, that I learned from Nate. But just real quick on him, like, overall, another part of this was that they were debating—they weren't even debating. They were going to shut down the GoFundMe page, and it was basically because— they like there's been like changeover in the Stephen F. Austin Athletic Department, and they were just slow to do it, and they were going to shut it down, but you got to get the routing number to the family because you can't get the money until the GoFundMe page is officially closed. So because they dragged their ass on this, that's why this story is happening, because the intention to close it down had basically been decided two or three weeks ago when he'd only raised $2,008, and he was you know, frustrated, annoyed by that, you know, this huge, devastating Hurricane Dorian hits in the summer, and you want to do what you can to help uh, your countrymen and help the people that you you know, grew up with. He had a classmate who died as a result of the hurricane, and it just never took off. You know, I wasn't aware of it, and I actually had some, like, retrospective reporter's guilt about that, and... Um and it just never garnered momentum. And then just talk about your all-time karma. I mean, swinging back in the best, and most amazing possible way. Um, that was the number one thing. But if you haven't read it, just uh, sit down, read. There's, there's, a, there's. Honestly, there are like nine different angles to the story behind the story, and. One thing that didn't make it that I thought was kind of cool, because I asked Kyle Keller, listen, I'm sure you've got 500 unread text messages to coach at SFA, um, but off the top of your head, like, is there one particularly from maybe a friend, not even in basketball, but if it is like a coach or someone that, that texts you that stood out, he's like, you know what? You know who it was? He said, I haven't read them all. I've only read 100 of about 800 that I have, but the one that really hit me hard was Justice Winslow, because when Keller coached at Texas A&M, they heavily recruited Justice before he went to Duke. And then... Justice, of course, goes to Duke, and it's Justice Winslow who sends like this long, heartfelt text message to Kyle Keller that night about, uh, "Listen, I know it's been a tough uh, couple months for you because Stephen F. Austin has an assistant who's battling cancer, and Kyle Keller's mother, who was like a real big presence around the program, she, you know, had just health issues and she rapidly deteriorated and died to the point where Kyle Keller took four weeks away from the program. That doesn't happen at the Division One level unless it's doctor's orders essentially you, you can't really run a division one program if, a, if you have an entire month where you weren't working um, so anyway he said Justice Winslow reached out he still maintains a good relationship with him and I thought that was really 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 cool so um, I could literally talk about this for 20 minutes it's an, it's an incredible story thanks for um, giving me the opportunity to bring it up because the conversations with Kyle I mean Kyle Keller didn't sleep and he did like 12 interviews because you know what when you ha- when you're a Stephen F. Austin and you and you pull off that win, like you do it to promote your team and to promote your school, and it's a do- you know you want documentation of this 15 years from now so you can go back and relive it through all this stuff, and for him to do it, Nate Bain to take time uh, to talk to me, other coaches you know behind the scenes to kind of give me information, um, just a real real awesome story. With all that said, I'm taking Arkansas State minus two. Evansville has not won against a Division One team since it beat Kentucky. Got to go against the Wolves. Uh, GP do you remember the last time we talked about Arkansas State on this podcast?
0: The last time we talked about
1: Arkansas State on this podcast. Well, first of all, I just I, I incorrectly called them the wolves again. This was the team. No, it's not. Never mind. No, wait. Yeah, wait. Was it Central Arkansas that opened up the season <laughs> against Baylor? Remember we talked about Baylor being the first team. The- yes,
0: I remember That's Central Arkansas. This Western. is Arkansas State. This is the Red Wolf. This is the Red Wolf.
1: They are the Red Wolves. Okay, so yeah, I'm good there. So anyway, I'm taking them. I'm taking them minus two, um, because I would love if Stephen F. Austin continued to win. This was the 266th team at Ken Palm before it was able to pull off the win against Duke, which has rightfully affected its, its standing overall. Uh, Arkansas State chilling at 249 with a 5-1 and one record. It did get blown up by Ole Miss, but otherwise, you know, just won at Colorado State by two. Give me Mike Ballado's Red Wolves to cover the two. I think we're in disagreement here, though.
0: I, I can't go against Stephen F. Austin. No, I, after I can't. I can't watch a team win inside Cameron Indoor and then say, but they're going to lose at Jonesboro. I mean, I'm not rolling it out. Of course it could happen. Hell, it probably will. What's my record again on these things?
1: Uh, You're currently 5-9-1.
0: There you go. So congratulations to Arkansas State on their uh, victory that will happen Saturday night over Stephen F. Austin. But for the purposes of this, I will take SFA plus two. Saturday, Mm -hmm. 5 p.m. Eastern. Northern Kentucky at Arkansas. Two games inside this. This is probably the last time we will ever in the final four and one have two games originating from the state of Arkansas. Um, but I bring this up because Arkansas off to a 6-0 start. They're up to number 23 at Ken Palm. So Muss is doing it on the court. No big wins yet. I mean, they beat Georgia Tech at buzzer in overtime, but like nothing, nothing like Michigan, but still 6-0 up to number 23 at Ken Palm. That's real stuff. And then on, off the court. Number five recruiting class in the country right now. Class of 2020, four top 100 prospects committed, all of whom are from Arkansas. K.K. Robinson's the most recent to commit. He's a point guard from Bryant, Arkansas. So... I've got uh, like close friends who are Ar- Arkansas graduates, and they're fired up right now. Like they're getting to watch quality basketball. You know, they they've got a Kin subscription. They're like, "GP, we're number twenty three at Kin When can we get into the top twenty five and one six and zero undefeated?" And like, I don't know, I, but they're on my radar. Like Arkansas's legit on my radar, and then number five recruiting class in the country. Three of the top five recruiting classes in the class of two thousand twenty right now. By the way, SEC classes: Kentucky, Tennessee. And Arkansas, so it's good stuff happening in Fayetteville, Norlander.
1: Yeah, uh, fifty points per game on the money allowed by Arkansas—that's third best in the country. Uh, what's so? What's our line here? What's the what's the what's the number? Arkansas minus fifteen. Okay, uh, I think if you said that, I was looking for the points per game stack because I know they were high up there. Um, I'm going to take Arkansas. I mean, Northern Kentucky. It's, you know, new coach Darren Horn and all that stuff. Uh, Arkansas has been better than I expected it to be. Um, I've been wrong on a couple. I've been been wrong on Michigan. I have been devastatingly wrong on Providence, which just lost another game on Friday. This is one of my all-time whiffs. And then I didn't think Arkansas would be anywhere near uh, contention for an NCAA tournament bid. Maybe it ultimately isn't, uh, but so far it's looking just great. Elite defense, Arkansas to cover the 15. Give it to me.
0: Yeah, I'll go Arkansas too. These are two of my two. I, I like both these coaches, Eric Musselman and Darren Horn. But I am going to take Arkansas minus fifteen because Arkansas, as somebody who grew up in the Nolan, you know, in the Nolan Richardson era when they were consistently one of the top five to ten teams in the country, watching that program be down for as long as it's been down, or at least not be what it should be for as long as it hasn't been, um, that's that's not fun. Watching Arkansas be relevant. Is fun. Told you I got friends who are Arkansas grads. Watching them be happy is fun. I don't want that to be ruined. So uh, Hawks move to 7-0, cover the 15. Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern. It was just set since we started recording this podcast. Mm. Number 5 Maryland against Marquette. It's going to be the title game of the Orlando Invitational. Did you see what Marcus Howard finished
1: with? I didn't, but he was just on fire again when we started going. What did it wind up being?
0: 51 points against 50, USC. 50?
1: 51?
0: <laughs> got 51.
1: <laughs> he just had 40. Yeah. Well, he, oh had a, he got 11 more since last time you checked. No, I mean, he had 40 in the game before. Oh. So well, that 40, means – He had
0: 40 in this game at 1.2, I'm certain. He, he had did.
1: Um, Marcus Howard this season, points. 38, 18, 18, 11. Shouts to Andy Toole and Robert Morris because they only lost by four points and Marcus Howard only had 11 points. Davidson, he had 40, and then he had 51 here. Um I would think that gets, I would think that might get Marcus Howard by the end of the night to the nation's lead for a scoring average. Um, what's the line?
0: I had to invent it.
1: What do you mean you had to invent? You don't, you don't get to invent the line. What are you talking about?
0: I had to invent the line. Well, because it's not obviously the line's not set for a Sunday game yet, and Ken Palm hasn't updated yet to give us a. Oh no, it has. It has just updated. <laughs> okay. The line will be. Are you ready? I just did. Hold
1: on, hold on, hold on. What what line did you invent? Be honest. What was the line? I invented Maryland minus three. Okay. First of all, this this can get this will get real fun in a hurry. If in the future we <laughs> you just want to invent betting lines. <laughs> <laughs> I invented Maryland minus three. Okay. Ken and Palm, Ken Palm has it Maryland minus one. All right. Oh man. Um, Maryland minus one. Terps have not lost yet 7 and 0 I watched a lot of their game against Harvard um, which is like finally like looking to be something close to what we expected Harvard might be it's had injury issues um this is a great Sunday game by the way uh, I feel like no matter who I pick here I'm going to be wrong Marquette fans have reminded me that I've been quite wrong on their team as well. So I will go with... Marquette fans
0: like to remind
1: people of stuff. They do. <laughs> they do. That's just, that's your favorite fan base, if memory serves. I will go with... I'm going to just ride Marcus Howard in Orlando. Uh, 51 is just absurd. Yeah, give me, uh, give me Marquette to win outright in doing so. That would mean they cover
0: i root for the top 25 and one it uh maryland's in it marquette is not so um you know i'll just take maryland minus the one but maryland is is the undefeated you know preseason top 10 team undefeated hadn't really looked like it i mean hadn't really they you know they struggled with harvard um are behind in the second half so I, I won't be surprised at all if marcus howard goes out and gets 40 and, and maryland loses but for the purposes of the top twenty-five and one, I'll pick Maryland. So those are my four games. As previously stated, mm. the rules of the Final Four and one is that you get to pick the fifth game every week. Pick it, Norlander.
1: Okay, I figured that you m- might not pick this one, so this is—I uh, didn't have to go to my contingent games. I'm—I'm I'm picking the one that I am scheduled to attend in person. Uh, weather pending. Apparently we might have like six to eight inches coming for Connecticut in Sunday into Monday. So hopefully this doesn't affect my travel schedule. Cause I only live about 25, 28 minutes from, uh, from Lee amphitheater in new Haven, Connecticut. It'll be the Vermont catamounts against the Yale bulldogs. Vermont is six and two. Um, has lost two of its past three against Division One competition. Had the close game at Virginia, lost by six. That's when Anthony Lamb played uh, tremendously. And then had a weird loss against Ryder on Sunday that was in uh, at Mohegan Sun. I had left by that point. I did not stick around to catch that game, but that's uh, something of a, a mystifying loss. Yale is 5-3, and three, coming off wins against Mes- Western Michigan in Bucknell. Yale is 99th in Ken Palm. Vermont is 80th the line right now. According to uh, Mr. Pomeroy, heading into this, is Vermont by – no, Yale by two. It's two points. So Yale minus two in Lee Amphitheater, which I don't think you've been in that one, GP. I have not. I I have. I will will be going again. Um, Who are you going to take?
0: Well, listen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I love this segment.
0: Vermont is – like that's the one team that's played Virginia. Yes, it's the one team that scored on Virginia. Yes. So, like, my heart, my, my my brain, my brain rather tells me to take Vermont as an underdog, right? I mean, if you can play yeah. at Virginia within six, you should be able to play at Yale with within. What do we say the number is again? Two. Two. Two? Yeah. Okay. Right. I think that math probably works. <laughs> okay, but but my heart. Says yeah because I do TV work with James Jones. Seems like every postseason. Is that really a reason? I think is it much. It's as good as any other reason I've ever had for picking a game. James Jones. Nobody else would. Have, nobody else has ever noticed this. But you know, when you sit at a desk, people sit different ways, right? Some people sit straight up. Other people like you know put an elbow on the desk. Some people like maybe lean to the I left or lean to the right. Mostly
1: people sit the same way. But yeah, okay, go ahead.
0: James Jones. If you can ever find a video of it, wherever. He, like, puts both arms on the tape on the desk, sort of leans in. He just looks super cool. He looks so cool. Like, if I looked like that, I'd look like I'm slouching. I'd look like I'm about to go to sleep. I like the way James Jones sits at a desk. I like the way he leans on a desk. I'm taking Yale. Yeah, I'm laying the points. Yale yeah,
1: minus two. <laughs> uh, you've got your reasons for sure. Uh, okay. I'm going to take Vermont plus two, which means if you've been following this we only have unity on two games. We both think Utah State is in to cover the three uh, against St. Mary's on Friday night, and we both think Arkansas will be 15 points or better at home on Saturday. You've got Stephen F. Austin. I've got Arkansas State. You've got Maryland. I've got Marquette, and you have Yale. I have Vermont. That's fun. That means uh, you can catch up to me or I can, I can extend my lead. But that is the final four and one for this weekend. <laughs> he's,
0: a gr- he's great at just sort of leaning and looking cool on the desk.
1: It's an underrated skill.
0: I mean, it's probably a useless skill for most people, but if you're on TV, it's very valuable.
1: I, I'd love Easy to see difficult. you try and lean right now because I think you still are, are, are dealing with severe tennis elbow despite the fact that you don't play tennis. So I don't think that you can even do what I don't even think you could mimic trying to do that right now.
0: Uh, spoken like a man who's never had tennis elbow, Norlander, um, uh, tennis elbow will not prevent you from uh, leaning onto a desk. It'll prevent you from picking up a gallon of milk. No, that hurts like hell. But uh, grass, laying on the desk, no problem whatsoever. I will say, if you want a tennis elbow update, have we talked about tennis elbow on this podcast?
1: Not on the podcast, but when I saw you at Champions Classic, you said it was as bad as ever, and I thought that can't be possible. But apparently it is.
0: Okay, I got double tennis elbow. Do, should I tell people
1: how I got in his elbow well I, I think at least 75 percent of the listeners are going to know because you talked about it two months ago but we do have new listeners so if you want to give uh, a very abridged version by all means let's let's do this before I have to put my children to bed
0: Okay, the quick version is this. Um, when My old my wife and I didn't plan our children very well at all. We had one when we were too young. We had two when we were too old. So now we've got a 16-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 3-year-old. And when the 16-year-old was young, we got him like one of those wooden play sets. You know, it's got a slide and a little clubhouse and some swings and whatever. And uh, now, you know, and then, of course, he hasn't touched it in, you know, 12 12- years it's just been sitting in our backyard and um but then we got little ones and they like to play on it but it's so old now it's like rockety and riggedy and we're like listen we got to tear that one down and then get just get brought buy them a brand new one and so i went out there to look at uh, how so how do you tear something down and it was like you know you need to get a drill and undo some screws i don't know how to do any of that but i noticed the wood was so fragile that this just popped into my head because I'm a great thinker. I said, you know what? I could probably get a sledgehammer and just beat the wood to death, and then like we'll just carry the wood out to the street, and that'll be it. And so I did it. I ordered a 35-pound sledgehammer on Amazon.com. It came in. I unwrapped that thing. I went out to my backyard, and I just beat a swing set to death. And I will tell you, it worked exactly as I anticipated. The wood crumbled into piles, and then me and my oldest son, we walked it out to the street, and uh, it was gone. It's been gone. I woke up the next day, and my arms were hurting. And I thought it was just sore because I'm not used to swinging a sledgehammer, but then they, they just never stopped hurting. And then they just never stopped hurting, and I was diagnosed with tennis elbow in both elbows and what that is is enlarged uh, inflamed tendons and it makes everything painful not not where it's completely unbearable but just your day-to-day life is not comfortable anymore and the only quick fix is surgery and even that's not a quick fix but ultimately most people you you heal yourself you ice and you take aspirin and you do exercises and then you just wake up one day and it's gone and i will tell you update my left elbow it's fine left i no longer tennis elbow on my left elbow it's great my right elbow is worse than it, um, than it was originally. It hurts every day. And obviously I can't have surgery right now because I have to type. I mean, who else is going to rank <laughs> basketball teams every morning? With one hand. <laughs> with, like, imagine me trying to uh, uh, rank Michigan with one hand. It's impossible. So I, uh, the plan right now is to hope that it gets better before the end of the basketball season. But in the likely case that it doesn't at this point, I'll be going under the knife, Norlander post. post. I have off-season surgery on my elbow.
1: Oh, gosh. That's just unbelievable, man. That's that's not, that's not no good. No good. You know
0: how dumb you have to be to be my age out there swinging a sledgehammer so hard and consistently that you damage both of your arms? <laughs> like, I make my living with my hands. It's what I – my mouth, your mouth, too, but with my hands. Like, the only thing dumber than, like, me – messing up my arms would be like me cutting out my tongue like I, I would have no way to I would have no way to cr- create income after that so anyway hopefully i'll get better i just want i just want to be better i just want to be pain free like i used to be i don't want to hurt anymore
1: you're great with your hands and your mouth and they need to be better that's that's for sure
0: that's what she said all right Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to from South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and He's a legend. Shouts to Learnell. Please go subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rated favorably. Five stars, nice comments. I'm going to pick out, I think Norlander promised two, two new comments left at Apple Podcast for Sunday's podcast. And so I'll share them toward the end of that one. That means we will talk to you again on Sunday. Till then, take care.